Now this is true liberty, when freeborn men, having to advise the public, may speak free, which he who can and will deserve high praise, who neither can nor will may hold his peace. What can be juster in a state than this? Euripid, Hysettid. Maybe you got lost somewhere, swimming too far off the beach. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to the cause. My name is Rob, and today we're going to be discussing the third book in the third volume of the Harvard Classic series, Areopagitica. By John Milton, which is a written speech for the liberty of unlicensed printing to the Parliament of England. I have thoroughly enjoyed this reading. It's honestly an important work in history, and it's one that we, we all should be acquainted with, because often we take for granted the liberty we have and the ability we have to speak freely. But as we're about to learn, that liberty can be taken away very quickly. When you start to censor knowledge, ideas, and books, ominous events usually follow. And those periods of history are not fun to live through unless you're somebody like Sam Adams, Napoleon, or the Marquis de Lafayette. And I will say too that Milton's Areopagitica is not an easy read. He references so much history that at times it may be hard to keep up with the actual subject that he's kind of on. For some of us, we don't have the context of the history that it takes to kind of understand the point that he's trying to hammer home. And there's also a lot to unpack here. First, we have to understand Milton and the time he is writing this. We also have to understand the order regulating print by the government. It should also be mentioned here that a war is going on at the same time all of this is happening. So let's unpack all this real quick, and then we will dive into his speech against Parliament's licensed printing order. You are really going to enjoy this one. It's, it's honestly, it's so important that we understand the significance of Areopagitica. So let's begin. John Milton was born in London in December of 1608. His father was a scrivener, which is basically somebody who like copies documents and stuff like that, or it's kind of like a secretary today. And John would go on to study at Cambridge University. And much of what we know about Milton's affairs and stuff like that, his education, can be found in his commonplace book that he kept. From this book, we chart his education, his travels, and some other things. Milton had command of many languages. Latin, Greek, Hebrew, French, Spanish, and Italian, just to name a few. He was also able to like immerse himself in some of those languages throughout life. Because around the age of 20, and I think this is important for the context of his speech that we're about to go into, Milton traveled for about 15 months around France and Italy. He would meet the astronomer Galileo during this time, who was under house arrest at the time for heresy and, ironically, writing about things his government did not approve of. This would have been the Roman Inquisition that, had, that would have tried him and found him guilty. And I bring Galileo up because Milton mentions him in his speech. Milton's attack on censorship, the Areopagitica, moves him to align with the parliamentary cause. You see, Areopagitica was written in 1644, or published then. And we have to remember this is during the English Civil War. He is also writing this after catching some heat for writing a pamphlet on the support of divorce. You see, Milton was having some marriage issues, and it does not appear from my reading that, you know, his wife liked him that well. So after understanding that, I kind of got to question, is he writing this for the good of the people or to make political moves and justify his offensive works of the past? Milton would eventually align himself with Oliver Cromwell, who was actually in support of removing the king. Now, I do not have a very clear understanding of this portion of history, at least just yet. But it makes more sense knowing a little about what's going on at the time to see why this censorship and all that is taking place. So I'll go ahead and stop the history lesson here as we will be diving into some of Milton's other works in different volumes later in the series. But I wanted to just give you a little background because it helps give the context of why the government and Milton may be acting the way they are. 
Let's move into the order. The Order of the Long Parliament for Regulating of Printing was published on the 14th of June, 1643. Now we gotta remember the English Civil War started around 1642, depending on what part of the country you're talking about. The order stated here that no order or declaration of both or either house of parliament shall be printed by any, but by order of one or both the said houses, nor other book, pamphlet, paper, nor part of any such book, pamphlet, or paper shall from henceforth be printed, bound, stitched, or put to sale by any person or persons whatsoever, unless the same be first approved of and licensed under the hands of such person or persons as both, or either of the said houses shall be a point for the licensing of the same, and entered into the register book of the company of stationers. Now there's more to it, but you can't print unless you have permission from the government, basically through a license, to do so. And the law is not just for books, it's for pamphlets, it's for, they even say paper. You print a speech on a piece of paper and it's not approved, it's illegal. Now reading through this order, which is only about two pages, I realize how hard this would be to enforce. But the law also says that at times they are hereby authorized and required from time to time to make diligent search in all places where they shall think meet for all unlicensed printing press and all presses in any way employed in the printing of scandalous or unlicensed papers, pamphlets, books, or any copies of books belonging to the said company. So if they are found and they're not in accordance with the law, they are to be dismantled, taken away. The law also goes on to say that anyone who resists or helps in these illegal printing endeavors should be rounded up, apprehended, and as the order states, so they may receive such further punishments as their offenses shall demerit. Imagine a world changing so quickly. You're free to print and publish and exercise your freedom to speak out and support what you deem important. Then the government steps in and it takes your ability to communicate away. Well, this angered many people, and one in particular was John Milton. So let's dive into his written speech, Areopagitica, and discuss the four arguments that I found in his writing. So like we said, Areopagitica is a written defense for unlicensed printing. He chose this title based off of an ancient work from, from Athens, the Logos Areopagitica which was a speech by Isocrates. The old speech aimed to reestablish the democracy of Athens by restoring the court of Areopagus. So that is kind of where Milton's work derived the title. Milton starts his speech off very tactfully, but in a sense almost condescending. He wants to keep the peace, but he also wants to let them know where he stands in regard to his opinion on the matter. He says the High Court of Parliament most likely wants the best for the people. He says he doesn't think they meant the order to be harmful in any, any way, but he followed it up with the fact that their actions got the power in me to a passion. He's angry, and like a rambunctious hound dog when you put it on a leash, he's bound to push back. He opens basically with this, but when complaints are freely heard, deeply considered, and speedily reformed, then is the utmost bound of civil liberty attained that wise men look for. He is telling the parliament what his goal for this defense is. He is speaking freely in hopes that they will deeply consider and speedily reform their actions. He is saying that the order is unwise because if you do not have the liberty to discuss ideas and issues openly, then civil liberty is bound to just break down. 
Milton also believes they are coming into an age of increasing tyranny. He then will switch back to appeasing words and he'll kind of do this dance in the beginning of the speech, giving them a little praise and, and hoping they can kind of see the light and then afterwards delivering the attack that the speech has kind of become famous for. He says, I am not going to flatter you because I am going to give you the truth. And surely, if they want the best for the people, they will see the errors of their way and repeal this order for licensing print. So after appeasement, truth, and some psychology, he dives into what appears to be his passion for books. He says, Books are not absolutely dead things, but do contain a potency of life in them to be as active as that soul was whose progeny they are. I never really thought of books like that. And then he states one of the most powerful lines in the book, in my opinion. He says, As good almost kill a man as kill a good book. Who kills a man kills a reasonable creature, God's image. But he who destroys a good book kills reason itself, kills the image of God as if it were the eye. Ponder that for just a bit. All of us humans are going to pass away, but our thoughts, our ideas, our contributions, they can live on. That holds a value. To kill a man who is already kind of destined to die, it's, it is evil. But to kill the idea of the man, to kill his work, it eradicates reason itself. Jesus and his teachings are a good example. The flesh is not as important as the ideas and teachings that are left behind. Such a powerful concept to wrap your head around. His first argument dives headlong into the what I call the history of censoring. And where do you think he begins? In Athens, where books and wits were ever busier than any other part of Greece. At this point, he brings up the hill of Areopagus, which is in Greece, and where the councils were held. And he said the judges of Areopagus commanded to burn some books of Protagoras. And these judges would also banish him for confessing not to know if a god existed. And now I'll say to be effective, his historical argument requires you almost to be aware or at least familiar with much of the history he is discussing. He mentioned Cicero, Plato, and he brings up Lacedaemon. He then ventures into Sparta and he, and he has kind of this amusing line about Sparta that I like. I'll read it to you. So in regards to the Spartans, he says, there need no licensing of books among them for they disliked all but their own. Uh, he brings the history up to Diogenes and Cato the censor who banished all the Stoic Attic babblers out of Italy. Cato the censor was a proponent of Roman culture and Roman values, and he did not really appreciate the Greek culture kind of creeping into their empire. Milton then goes in to discuss some Latin comedians, and then he brings the history all the way up to Pompey and Octavius, where here he states, From hence we shall meet with little else but tyranny in the Roman Empire, that we may not marvel, if not so often bad, as good books were silenced. Rome would eventually convert to Christianity, and he has an important line about that in here. He says, by this time the emperors were become Christians, whose discipline in this point I do not find to have been more severe than that was formerly in practice. The Christians would go on to censor as well, and try and squash differences in opinion by force, and by doing this, moving away from the teachings of the person they put their faith in. He then brings the history up to 800 AD with the Trentine Council, where he states, The popes of Rome, engrossing what they pleased of political rule in their own hands, extended their dominion over men's eyes, as they had before over their judgments, burning and prohibiting to read what they fancied not. If what you see is controlled, what you read is censored or prohibited, then your judgment can be easily purchased and persuaded. He mentions the first instance of licensing at this point and gives a few examples of the gluttonous friars who did the approving. And Milton starts to bring God into his argument at this point. He mentions that God did not 
not censor us, but he gave us free will to think and reason for ourselves. He says God uses not to captivate under a perpetual childhood of prescription, but trust him with the gift of reason to be his own chooser. A concept is mentioned here that I believe can be kind of glossed over. And I may be overthinking it, but it kind of moves into our second argument. He gets to a point in the book where he brings up Adam and Eve and the tree of knowledge, where the knowledge of good and evil is released upon the world from eating from the tree. He mentions knowing what is good by what is evil. And if you've never seen evil, then how can you know what is good? And if everything is constantly being censored and prohibited, then your judgment of what is good has to be affected. Good and evil can only exist together because you can only know one by having knowledge of the other. And you may disagree with Milton here, but I thought that was kind of a fascinating point to highlight. His argument at this point starts to shift more towards the importance of knowledge. A great line is this, there is no reason that we should deprive a wise man of any advantage to his wisdom, while we seek to restrain from a fool that which being restrained will be no hindrance to his folly. Oftentimes we punish the whole for the sins of the few. And in a society that appreciates freedom and liberty, that usually doesn't go over too well. The third argument is just the age-old question, what next? It is licensing print today, but what will it be tomorrow? Music? Instruments? Weapons? Gestures? Are they going to censor how you move? How you dance? What about dictate what you wear? How loud you can be? Let's ban alcohol. That'll probably end well. Where does it end? Too many regulations can make life not worth living. And what's worse, wars start over things like that. So he brings it back to self-regulation. Allow people to choose what they want to do with reason. Such as this comment regarding Adam. When God gave him reason, he gave him freedom to choose for reason is but choosing. Another important lesson here is this. God did not remove the object that caused Adam to sin, just like we should not remove books that may cause you to sin. And now Milton's argument here is kind of one-sided, as God did banish Adam from the garden, but I do understand what he was getting at. At this point, he ties virtue and sin together. And I thought this was a pretty cool concept, but I was kind of unsure when I first started to read into it, but the more I ponder it, the more I kind of get his point. He said, look how much we thus expel of sin, so much we expel a virtue. For the matter of them both is the same. Remove that, and ye remove them both alike. You can't be virtuous without the temptation of sin. If sin did not exist, then we'd just all be good people living in this perfect world. But those who choose to live against sin and refrain from committing sin will become a more virtuous individual. He then kind of asked the question, look into Spain and Italy where the inquisitional rigor has been executed on books. Do you believe they are better off? That is a good question. Anytime somebody passes a law, we should literally ask, are we going to be better off? Could it be possible that parliament is wrong and government doesn't always commit to the course with the best outcome? He quotes a line from Francis Bacon here. He says that such authorized books are but the language of the times. That's scary. He then mentioned his time in Italy with, when he met Galileo. There it was that I found and visited the famous Galileo, grown old, a prisoner to the Inquisition. Actions have consequences, and great minds like Galileo can be robbed of their intellect and stifle their contributions to society. At this point, we move into the last argument, which is on truth. This next line is also one of the most famous ones I feel in Areopagitica. He says, where there is much desire to learn, there of necessity will be much arguing, much writing, many opinions. For opinion in good men is but knowledge in the making. Opinion in good men. It's okay not to agree with everyone 
on everything, especially those who are supporting evil, because to do so shows that truth and knowledge is no longer the aim, and to conform to anything but the truth is to appease. This is important. Being able to hold an opinion without the fear of reprisal or cancellation is important to furthering knowledge and exploring truth. Milton was so passionate about the freedom of speech that he declared it the most important liberty. Give me the liberty to know, to utter, and to argue freely according to conscience above all liberties. He views it as the foundation to all other liberties. Because without the ability to speak your honest opinion, you can't argue for the liberties you desire to keep. And at this point we ask the question, would you rather people tolerate you and your freedoms or compel and threaten you to change them. He says, Yet, if all cannot be of one mind, as who looks they should be, this doubtless is more wholesome, more prudent, and more Christian that may be tolerated rather than all compelled. Freedom is a burden. It's a burden in the sense that I have to tolerate those freedoms that I may personally not agree with. Because who am I to compel you to live the way I want you to live? Freedom and liberty have to be rooted in a mutual respect. Because Milton is saying it's better to tolerate those liberties than to try and compel people to give them up. Because honestly, we don't all think the same. We don't hold the same opinions. That is the burden of freedom. And the truth can be a hard pill to swallow sometimes. He says, there is not aught more likely to be prohibited than truth itself, whose first appearance to our eyes, bleared and dimmed with prejudice and custom, is more unsightly and unplausible than many errors. A basic knowledge of history will show that when it comes to censoring, usually truth is the first to be sequestered. Bad things happen on a billionaire's island, and all of a sudden truth gets locked up tighter than a bank's vault. You may be unwilling to unpack, think about, or face some truth in your life, especially if it goes against our way of life, or if it can completely change the current view of what we deem is right and wrong. Milton ends his speech with this. This I know, that error in a good government and in a bad are equally almost incident, for what magistrate may not be misinformed? Being informed of the truth is dependent on unlicensed forms of speech. If we are ever to lose the liberty of open speech, we lose the ability to know what truth is. It's said in a book that all that truth needs to assure its victory over error is a fair field and no favor. I love that. With that being said, I hope you have enjoyed this overview of Milton's Erio Pagetica. And I would highly suggest you read it on your own. It's not that long, but it's a very important work, and it needs to be kept in focus, even in our modern times. And if you're wondering, Milton did not get a license to publish Areopagitica. He just sent it out into the world. Next week, we discuss John Milton's Tractate on Education, which is a letter Milton wrote to a man where he explains the education of a gentleman, which reminds me of old Pip from Great Expectations. Really looking forward to diving into that one. I think it goes with the channel well, so that's going to be pretty cool. These episodes are in podcast form. They're across all the, all the podcasting platforms. If you want to listen to them that way, please do. I will leave a link in the description if you want to check it out. I also roast the devil out of some coffee. So if you want to partake in drinking some of that brown bean yum yum to the tum tum, then check out the link to my website, which will be in the description below. You can use the code THECAUSE for 15% off your first order. With that being said, the podcast and the channel are growing nicely, and all because of your comments, your engagement, and the reviews. I also want to thank those who have become members of the channel. I will be releasing these series a couple days early for you and i will eventually add more stuff as we go down the road all proceeds that i make from this channel will be allocated back into making the series just better i want to wish everyone a blessed new year and i'm looking forward to adding some new things to the channel in 2024 with that being said read some amazing books drink some amazing coffee and i will see you next week as always stay blessed love y'all i was making lots of noise busking on the city streets i came back from brooklyn but you didn't come back for me